is Bloomberg Surveillance. If you look at global equities, U.S. market, for example, is near highs despite all the, the risks out there. I think if Britain were to leave, we would see significant spillover. And one of the big ones is going to be in the financial sector. We don't think the markets are rational under any circumstance. Markets can't be rational. We are human beings. We are irrational, responding to irrational and rational news. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Irrational or rational, it is a most interesting and indeed historic day for global markets. Michael McKee and Tom Keen, Bloomberg Surveillance, thrilled you're with us. German 10-year, the benchmark, the European benchmark, finds a negative yield right now almost back to zero to three digits, negative point zero zero six. I'm going to call it an improving tape in the last hour. We'll do complete data checks across uh, equities, bonds, currencies, commodities over the next two hours. Two hours, I say, of Bloomberg surveillance. This morning, Bloomberg surveillance, as always, brought to you by Cone Resnick. Look ahead, gain insight, imagine more, get forward thinking. Advice that can help turn business possibilities into business opportunities. Find out more at ConeResnick.com. C-O-H-N-R-E-Z-N-I-C-K. ConeResnick.com. Mike, to get us going in this hour, the simplistic statement, this is about Brexit, I just don't buy. There's more going on than this important vote in uh, the United Kingdom in a few days. Well, you put everything together. I mean, you had the bad U.S. payrolls report or the payrolls report interpreted as bad by the markets. You've got Brexit. What you've got is a lot of uncertainty. Because the Fed was going to raise rates. Now they're not. But are they in July? I mean, nobody knows. Nobody knows what any of these central banks meeting this week are going to do. And uh, it, is, it is very hard for investors to do anything except as George Goncalves told us this morning, yeah. uh, dive into bonds and just hide under the fixed income bed. You know, the, the, the good news about it is we get to hide without making adult analysis of market economics. She can't. Michelle Girard joins us now from RBS, uh, looking at the game of trying to guess within this uncertainty. Can you do an Excel spreadsheet this morning of the American economy, or have you just given up? Well, you know, we can always do the Excel spreadsheet. The problem is, just as you mentioned, there there is a lot of uncertainty and, and a couple of big binary events out there that would sort of make you have to clear the spreadsheet and start over again. And and that's what is that's what's so difficult for us economists right. and for the markets to be grappling with. That you could have a game changer you, that would fundamentally shift everything. Right. You have a killer chart. We protect the copyright of our guests. I'm not going to send you out the Michelle Gerard adjusted dot plot chart and the answer is it comes in help our listeners which year of the dots is going to have the biggest change in guesstimate in the coming weeks you know, it's it. I, you know, we, as you can see from those charts, looking at where we think the dots will fall, 16, 17, and 18. The median uh, dots or the medium levels move down most significantly in, in 17 and 18. But but yeah. I actually think the most important for the markets, because let's face it, by 17 and 18, we'll have had four revisions to those numbers as it is. But but the the 16 dots, which I think is a really close call, right, whether right. or not you know that. Median 
median. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's not going to be a close call necessarily because there were so many uh, participants at the two hike, um, you know, in in terms of 2016 expected oh. two hikes last time, that it would take a lot to shift the right. median down. But, of course, every one of those dots that moves down to me is a sign right. that they are inclined not to move this summer, which is probably the biggest question facing the market, yeah, okay. as you said, you know, July okay. move or not. Mike, I would point out that Ms. Gerard has lost the Kachalakota dot. <laughs> it's disappeared we, off we, her we've estimate. All lost the Kachalakota dot, but uh, Michelle, it, can we? Uh, the markets will, whether they should or not, put a lot of weight on the dot chart. And I'm wondering, when you release a forecast that, as you say, could be wiped out uh, a week later by events, you know, how much? credibility can you even give it uh, how much credibility do you even think the people making the forecast give it well i think you're right but i think what it does is it shows us a little bit it, it gives us a glimpse into their mindset maybe what their predisposition is you know if if most people let's say the dots were unchanged for 16 and most people still felt two hikes were appropriate then once we got by the uk vote and if the vote was to stay in the markets would think okay well you know maybe the fed is inclined to move this summer once we get by that and if conditions can you know the june employment report shows a rebound etc on the other hand if you see expectations shifting down that the fed is thinking maybe more likely only one hike is appropriate this year then even if we get by the uk vote and even if the june jobs report is better you know the the um, expectation will be that the hurdle for moving this summer and possibly over the course of this year is higher than what people had thought, you know, that we're more likely to get less from the Fed rather than more. So it just, I think, gives us a backdrop to sort of see uh, what the Fed's predisposition is in terms of under a, a best-case scenario where you don't have this, you know, a U.K. leave or you um, you don't have the economy fund, but how close or how likely the Fed is to be moving rates higher. Well, don't we think that their predisposition absent Brexit is is to raise rates? I, you know, this is the question. I, you know, I think for many on the FOMC that is the case. I personally am not convinced that Janet Yellen is as is as uh, sure about the need to be raising or the, the 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 intelligence of raising rates at this time. There are even beyond Brexit a lot of uncertainties. I mean, I was rattled by that June jobs report. I, I tend, the, the, the report we got last week for May. I, I tend to be pretty optimistic. I've been consistently upbeat about the economy. I, I felt it wasn't just a one-off fluke. I I'm worried that there's a deceleration um, sort of going on in part because of business caution in the face of uncertainty. And I suspect Janet Yellen is somewhat concerned as well, and I think she may want more information beyond just one better jobs report to convince her that the U.S. is on solid enough ground to make another rate hike appropriate. And, of course, the concerns about China, I mean, global events besides Brexit, too, I think, are unsettling for the Fed chair. But um, how can I put this politely, Tom? Um, Michelle, so Michelle, you, you don't Michelle's an economist of a certain age. <laughs> In other words, <laughs> you've, you've been around for a while, as have Tom and I. This kind of volatility in job creation numbers used to be the norm. I mean, it's been unusual that we had 200,000 for three, four years, month after month. Right. Uh, you know, it, it was not unusual at all to see zero jobs and then 300,000. Right. No, you're right. And if it was just one strong, or sorry, one weak jobs number in a sea of other strong data, but you know, with the revisions that we saw to prior months, there's a clear 
downtrend in employment growth that's kind of been unfolding actually since the end of last year, and it's coupled with disappointing results on business investment. And, and we know we've had two down quarters. We may be down a third on business investment. To me, there's perhaps, especially when you look at the slowdown in profit growth, some concern about businesses' propensity to want to be expanding in this current environment, that there may be something more fundamental going on. And whether or not Mm -hmm. that's the case, this Fed, I think, wants to be cautious and really understand if this was just volatility in the numbers or if this was the start of something more that may be showing itself. Do you, when you see the market action that you observe as an economist, does it signal secular stagnation to this? I say this, folks, with Doug Cass with a really smart note out today highlighting that debate. Am I witnessing secular stagnation, Michelle Girard? Well, I think we use that term a lot. What, what I think we're looking at is a situation where, for reasons not necessarily um, based on fundamentals, first of all, Rates in the, you know, you mentioned the market. I mean, rates are much lower than where fundamentals would necessarily um, justify themselves. And I am not so sure that it's secular stagnation that we should blame. I mean, there's a, there's a part of some structural changes that I do think it explains why growth isn't as robust as you would expect, given how much accommodation's been thrown at it. But I think there's also a lot of uh, of other reasons why. I mean, I actually believe low interest rates are working against our economy now to some extent. And the other thing I would point out is while it feels not so great to be growing two or two and a half percent seven years into an expansion when your potential growth rate is below two is not really such a disappointing performance yeah. even though it doesn't feel like it should you know like it, yeah. like it feels very good we're going to be bold we're going to come back and actually mike talk about economic data can we do that uh, Remember what that was like? Yeah, we can do that for the next couple of hours till the Fed starts their meeting. <laughs> yeah, well, there would be that. I mean, we've got retail yeah. sales, uh, among other things. Retail sales today? Yes, retail sales. Retail sales coming up is. here in uh, 19 uh, minutes, news. and we are thrilled to have Michelle Girard uh, with us to give us perspective on that. Futures were negative 7, negative 8. They improved. Now they've unimproved. Negative 6. Dow futures negative 38. Yields improved, higher yields, and then they unimproved. The German 10-year, negative 0.004. That's better than it was at 5 a.m. The yen, 105.99, weaker yen over the last hour as well. Uh, West Texas, 48.10. Brent, 49.53. Gold flat. Check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. The Senate is scheduled to vote today on a $602 billion defense policy bill. Debate over potential amendments to the legislation came to a halt late last week due to procedural disputes. The White House has expressed numerous objections and threatened a presidential veto. Street protests are planned across France as rail workers and taxi drivers are going on strike. The Eiffel Tower is closed today as part of a protest against the reform aimed at loosening the country's labor rules. The U.S. has joined the Egypt air crash investigation. American air safety experts are helping in trying to find the all-important black boxes from last month's crash of an Egypt airplane that plunged into the sea. 
The plane was heading from Paris to Cairo when it crashed, killing all 66 people on board. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael, thanks so much. I mentioned gold flat, 1286 the ounce. Let's look at the equity markets. Futures negative six, the Dow closing 17,000. 732, the VIX, 21. Wow, 21.94. The news update brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash in rented real estate. Find them at nria.net. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And good morning. I'm John Tucker. Let's uh, head over to the Bloomberg First Word Breaking News Desk for today's morning call. And here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, John. U.S. futures remain lower amid continued breaks at fears. Four polls put the Leaf campaign ahead of Remain and the Sun backed in EU exit. Dow futures currently lower by 44 points. S&P futures down 6.5 and Nasdaq futures declined by 15. The U.S. 10 yield hits 1.59% and Europe trades lower. France drops 1.7%, and Germany's 10-year bond yield declines below zero for the first time. On the U.S. economic front, 830 import price index and retail sales, and at 10 o'clock business inventories. After the Bellis night, Baidu cut revenue forecast for the second quarter. Shares are down 5.5% pre-market. And in others, NXP is selling its products unit for $2.75 billion. Finally, some year Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. Vonage raised to buy versus neutral at Citigroup. Alaska Air cut to outperform from strong buy at Raymond James. At Stiefel, Allison Transmission cut to hold. Navistar cut to sell. And Hyatt cut to market perform over at Wells Fargo. Live from the first at Breaking News Desk, I'm Bill Maloney. John? All right, thanks, Bill. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. And that is a Bloomberg Business Flash. Michael and Tom. Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance. Mike McKee and I dazzled uh, by what we see on the screen. I'm going to call it a jumble right now. The 10-year clause back to 1.59% as well. Bloomberg Surveillance this morning. One day before the Fed meeting, brought to you by Invesco. Don't settle for average in your portfolio. To Invesco, the right approach means investing with high conviction. Find out more at Invesco.com slash high conviction. Tomorrow, 1 p.m., Michael McKee, Tom Keene. Who else is with us, Michael? Don't forget Scarlett Foo. Scarlett Foo. How could I forget? She's working on Rangers, you know, training camp. tickets (laughs) tickets <laughs> she's already looking ahead to next year huh? yes new york uh, rangers hockey rangers going to be uh an, a very interesting meeting because they're not going to do anything and it's not even what they say but how they say it that really matters no. uh, you know so um, in the meantime retail sales michelle gerard with us rbs is a, I, I get mixed opinions michelle is a consumer flat on their back which is what I see when I look at the department store sales, or is a consumer doing very good because they're buying 98% of what they're buying through Amazon? Which is it? I think the consumer is somewhere in the middle. I mean, I think the consumer is not flat on its back. I think we've seen uh, a couple disappointing quarters, but it's interesting that we now think disappointing quarters are when growth is 2%. Excuse me. Um, but but the truth is is that the consumer is not spending as much as it could be spending and that 
is probably where there's some disappointment. I mean, income growth is so strong. We could be, I mean, in nominal terms, it's growing, you know, almost 5%. It's been growing between 4 and 5% in both real and nominal terms. I mean, that normally would set the stage for much, much stronger um, spending growth than what we've been getting. So that's why I'm saying it's a little bit in the middle in that the, the consumer, I think, is performing better than the department store sales numbers um, would suggest, better than perhaps it gets credit for. But, but it is sort of underperforming. We do see consumers continuing to save a good a good deal in the wake of the crisis in particular. We've we've definitely seen a higher level of precautionary savings than we had, than we've seen historically. It's interesting. We are seeing we saw you get the uh, the the average hourly uh, the average hours worked excuse me and uh, aggregate hours. Uh, basically back to pre-crisis levels, which should even with uh, relatively flat earnings, by itself raise uh, consumer spending, right. but but it's not doing that. Right. Is uh, you know are consumers afraid to spend money? Well, you know, and that's exactly what I was speaking to is that, you know, while average hourly earnings, like how much every worker earns per hour, it doesn't, isn't going up. We're not seeing the wage pressures because more people are working and they're working more hours. The aggregate pool of, of income that consumers have to spend has been growing, as I said, better than 4%. And so the fact that we're not seeing consumer spending kind of matching that pace, it, it, instead they're, they're saving a, a, you know, a good deal of their, of their income. Um, and and yeah, I do I do believe in the wake of the financial crisis, consumers are more cautious. They don't ever want to find themselves back in that kind of a precarious position. And 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 I mean, the, the flip side, I guess, or the silver lining to that increased um, caution is the fact that when we get into periods of high uncertainty, you don't have to see the consumer retrench. So we went through after the turn of the year, all of the volatility and the equity markets being down, and yet consumer confidence. Confidence pretty much held it, it, you know, continued to move sideways near historical uh, or historical but cyclical highs. Even now, the second quarter, while businesses may be getting more cautious, moving to the sidelines, consumer spending is reaccelerating. And, and I think that, that that's the flip side of it is that they're not spending all they could be. But the good news is, is because they have been acting cautiously, they don't feel the need to, to, to go back into a hole that the first sign of some jitters in the, in the financial markets. What's your, uh, speaking of numbers out this week, what's your feeling about inflation? That's going to be a, a key question on the table for the Fed, and we get the CPI, unfortunately for them, the day after their meeting. Yeah, well, inflation is moving ever so gradually higher, and that's my our forecast. You know, the CPI on uh, this week on Thursday will end up, on a year-over-year basis, ticking up, I think, from 2.1 to 2.2. So that measure is actually above the Fed's uh, 2% target. Of course, the core PCE deflator is below that and holding around 1.6. We think it's going to move up to 1.7, but it's an ever-so-gradual uh, move up. But the problem is, is that you know one of the a more recent development to the to the downside, of course, that the Fed is watching is what's happening not with reported inflation, but with inflation expectations. And Janet Yellen in her June sixth yeah. speech highlighted that. And you know we had <clears throat> last week with the consumer sentiment numbers out of Michigan a record low in five to ten year inflation expectations yeah. dropping to two three. I think that's got them somewhat yeah. concerned. Uh, you know that trend I think is almost as important as watching what right. the reported numbers are I, doing. Couldn't agree more. I think that's really wonderful wisdom there, folks, within the lines of the press conference uh, tomorrow. 
this word expectations and the way the chair uses that will be really uh, something to lean forward and listen in on the nuances there. Wonderful. Michelle Gerard, thank you so much with RBS and particularly with retail sales here in five minutes. You know, we say we'll go beneath the headline data on jobs. There's a lot of data on retail sales. Michael McKee will assist you with that. He'll go beneath the headline data. Vinny Del Judice and the others here as we look at consumption in America. Next, retail sales, Bloomberg surveillance. Coming up, the With All Due Respect highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverTriState.com or call 1-800-FIND-4WD for details. Land Rover, above and beyond.